This is an AMI podcast. When I was a little freestyle skier, we we would always kind of like tease the kids that didn't fall because if you're not falling, you're not trying hard enough. And so there there was early on in my sport and and really throughout it a celebration of of failure. You know, it's uh, I think just in, in general in society we we shy away from it. There's like oh no, we're not good enough. There's shame. Uh, or whatever might come along with it. But in sport, um, if you're not failing or falling, you're not putting in enough effort. And it, it's really a lot easier to learn from your mistakes than it is your wins. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Many people with disabilities rightly complain about instances where able-bodied people consider routine actions like going to work or crossing the street somehow worthy of praise just because it's a person with a disability. So when we think about what it means to be accomplished as a person with a disability, clearly we're talking about something other than inspiration porn. In the same vein, there are narratives that suggest that people with disabilities are inspirational because they overcame the limitations of their impairment or disability. Obviously, those narratives are also frowned upon. So what then makes a person pushed I'd say it's probably the same thing that makes anyone accomplished, the willingness to push personal boundaries and overcome fear. Today, we discuss disability and achievement. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Joyita Gupta. The Canadian Disability Hall of Fame has provided permanent recognition of outstanding Canadians who have made extraordinary contributions to enriching the quality of life for people with physical disabilities. Founded by the Canadian Foundation for Physically Disabled Persons, this public exhibit was officially opened February 11, 1994 in Metro Hall in Toronto. It is open to the public 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you all this because starting today and for the next two weeks after that, we'll be meeting three amazing Canadians with disabilities, three inductees to the Canada Disability Hall of Fame. Today, we meet Josh Duack. Josh Duack is a two-time Paralympian and influential leader in sport. He began paralpine skiing just one year after a 2004 accident on the slopes changed his life. Duak won silver in the men's sitting slalom race during his Paralympic debut in Vancouver 2010. In Sochi 2014, he won his second Paralympic silver, this time in the downhill, and days later, Duak took gold in the super combined and was named flag bearer for the closing ceremonies. He's also had repeated success on the World Cup circuit and multiple World Championship podium finishes. Since his retirement, Dweck has continued advancing the Paralympic movement, including leading the 2022 Paralympic team to Beijing as chef de mission. He is an ambassador for several organizations and a mentor to others who have had life-altering injuries. And of course, he is one of three inductees to the Canada Disability Hall of Fame. Okay, enough talking from me. Josh Dweck, welcome to The Pulse. It's really great to have you on the program. Thanks for having me. Josh, you've had so many accolades and medals to your name. What does this particular induction mean to you? 
Oh, it's a great question. Uh, it's it's a nice reminder uh, for the 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 time that I had in sport. It's been a, a little bit since I was in the start gate, so it's a bit of a rip down memory lane to start. And I, I think beyond you know the the personal affection of looking back, um, there there's just such a, a great sense of joy that comes along with knowing that um, these awards and recognitions for for all the athletes being inducted are just such great reminders of the power of sport and the impact it can have on individuals and communities. And, you know, when I think about your story, you love being out on the slopes. When you had your accident in 2004, I, I was thinking about this last night and I thought if it had been me, I wouldn't have had the courage to go back and uh, go back and do the thing that I love because I'd be so afraid of another accident or of something going wrong. What is it that made you think, you know what, Josh, no, I really want to go you know, I want to continue to ski, even though I've had this accident. What What is it that made you pursue that dream? Yeah, I think at first it was simply just the kids that I was coaching at the time of my injury and knowing the uh, the impact of witnessing that, um, the impact that it had on them was pretty significant. Mm-hmm. So uh, at first it would just, you know, show the kids, get back on the horse and, uh, you know, keep moving forward because life is filled with adversity and setback. It's how we deal with it. Um, but as, as things went on, um, I think, you know, as I look back, it's just an addiction to fear resolution. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is, it, it can be a pretty overwhelming and in, intimidating sport. And uh, it wasn't until I retired that I realized how much um, fear was involved in, in what I was doing and how hooked I was on, you know, really studying all the risk and uh, trying to figure that out the best that I could with my coaches and teammates. Mm-hmm. And then finding a way through that, and then uh, that sense of accomplishment or resolution after looking at something so challenging, and then being able to to rise above uh, and and learn ways to to grow from that. It, that's that was a pretty cool part of my whole sports story for sure. And you start parallel alpine skiing just one year after your accident, so I'll say maybe around two thousand and five, and then you managed to win your a gold medal at your debut in Vancouver 2010. How do you go from A to B? Because you must have had to put in tons of training and tons of blood, sweat, and tears to get to a place where you not just end up on the podium, but you end up winning gold. Yeah, I think uh, like at the time, it didn't feel like anything but just like the best life ever. Mm-hmm. I felt very fortunate and privileged to be able to, to call myself an athlete and to be able to do what I love every single day, uh, live, eat, breathe, sleep, sport um but but you you carry a good point there it it does come with a cost and and there is a sacrifice and i think at the time i didn't really recognize um the cost of that kind of dedication Mm -hmm. but when i when i look back now it's just like it it did have a pretty significant impact on my family um in terms of my time away and uh you know education and career as well right those those all kind of got put on hold while i was out there living my best life. And I'm glad that I did. I'm still young, so I can, you know, nurture family and I can uh, work on career at this point in time. But it's, um, you know, at the time was best life ever. And looking back, it was the best life ever. Well, I will ask you about where your career path is taking you now that you've retired from sport. But just as we sort of we continue to reflect on your sports career, I would hazard a guess that being a flag bearer for your country was pretty special. What other moments would you say stand out to you as highlights? 
Uh, flag bearer for sure in uh, the sport world was highlight of highlights. Um, being able to compete at home in front of friends and family in Vancouver 2010 was like uh, something that I still struggle to put words to. It was so nice to see my family, my parents, um, all my friends that I grew up with and, and so many other Canadians just cheering at the top of their lungs. Obviously, Sochi was pretty special. It was a very different experience in that sense where there wasn't a lot of friends and family, but uh, it was a great venue to compete on and mm -hmm. taking the win was pretty great. Uh, and then somewhere in between there was, um, you know, being the first person to do a backflip on a Sitski. That was <laughs> an objective that I had for a long time. And I had some friends that were brave enough and willing to support me on that endeavor. And uh, it was a cool project to be part of. And it certainly it garnered a lot of attention for sports so that that made me pretty happy. You're talking about the documentary Freedom Chair. And so let's just spend a minute talking about the documentary that you were a part of. Uh, for those of us who are, well, okay, people like me who get cold feet, explain to us what a backflip entailed and why this was something you were so keen to accomplish for yourself. Sure. Backflip uh, on snow entails a rather large jump that's shaped accordingly to, to give you the lift up and also encourage the rotation. And uh, really, it's just a backward somersault. So off the end of the jump and, you know, the goal is to, to hold steady looking at the horizon as long as you can. And then when you peak, you, you look back and it continues to build on the rotation. And if uh, all of your timing goes well, you should put her down on your feet. And oh. so um, that was, that was actually built off of the freedom chair documentary. Now that, that, that actually happened two years prior. And mm. That was a fun little 15 minute short on, on my life story to that point. Uh, just talking mm. about my love for the outdoors and the connection to community and really unpackaging my love for backcountry exploration and mm. uh, doing new things. And at that point in time, not many sit skis had been in the backcountry, and that that documentary actually gave birth to the idea of doing the backflip, which happened a couple of years after. Mm. Now uh, we should just mention that the accident that you had was a skiing accident, and right up to that point, you had been an able-bodied skier and a coach. How much of the backflip and the making of the documentary, and indeed your trajectory um, as a Paralympian, was maybe about redeeming that accident, or you know, not just sort of recovering or rehabilitation from the accident but also just showing people that you could continue to live your dream um even though you'd had the accident yeah i think the the whole journey in sport ski racing and backcountry was all a, a song of redemption uh you know proving to myself that i was capable and also um, showing other people that um, many things are possible if you put your mind to it uh yeah it was it was uh you know, the backflip itself um, obviously leaned well into my, my background in freestyle ski coaching mm -hmm. and, and whatnot. Ironically, though, uh, that was the best backflip I ever did, able-bodied oh. or not, which is pretty funny. I, I wasn't cool. the most talented jumper, which is um, point in case how I ended up in a wheelchair, actually, is a botched mm -hmm. front flip. And so the, uh, the, the backflip definitely was tied to that in a direct redemption and... Uh, obviously just you know continuing to build on the story that many things are possible if you open your mind to them so you know i was sort of saying off the top of the program about 
inspiration porn and people with disabilities objecting to um, the the fact that day-to-day actions are considered praiseworthy just because it's a person with a disability. If you had to think about what it means to be accomplished or an achiever as a person with a disability, what's your philosophy around that? To be accomplished? Oh, man, uh, I'm a little bit uh, altruistic, I suppose, in that sense. And so um, being able to accomplish something great in the field of play is relevant for sure. Obviously, that's what the athlete is striving towards. Um, but also, you know, making a positive impact in your community and and as far as you can outside of the field of play. I think that was always a marked objective that I had to mm-hmm. to just spread the good news and the good story as far and wide as I could. And that definitely kind of rounded things out for me in the uh, the very focused effort of being an athlete and performance to uh, a broader focus on on just elevating, motivating, and inspiring other people to, to find their best and to embrace adversity when it happens and to see it as a growth opportunity. Ah, see, you read my mind because I want to talk a little bit about your philosophy on failure. And you might ask, what a peculiar question to ask an athlete. But really, it isn't because I think a lot of us think of athletes as people who are driven to win. Um, And yet, I always like to take the opportunity to ask an athlete about how they handle situations when they don't make the podium or they don't get that medal. And they're the, you know, they, they squeak in last and they don't know what to, you know, how to feel about that. What is your philosophy for? or dealing with failures or setbacks? Well, with my kids, uh, I taught them early on that falling is learning, and that is still super relevant for me today. Um, when I was a little freestyle skier, um, we, we would always kind of like tease the kids that didn't fall, because if you're not falling, you're not trying hard enough. And so there, there was early on in my sport, and, and really throughout it, a celebration of, of failure. You know, it's, uh, I think, just in in general in society we, we shy away from it there's like oh no we're not good enough there's shame uh, or whatever might come along with it but in sport um, if you're not failing or falling you're not putting in enough effort and it, it's really a lot easier to learn from your mistakes than it is your wins and so when when you're faced with adversity facing failure missing targets that's a great time to pull up the notepad and and take a good hard look at know what effort did you make and what can you learn from that and improve next time around and of course to have goals that you then work towards was there ever a point in your life josh where you felt like okay been there done that got the medal won the t-shirt got the t-shirt now now what and if you're ever faced with that question of now what uh, how did you resolve that question uh well i definitely exceeded any goals that i had because i was pretty modest in my goal setting in terms of what i wanted to achieve as an athlete. Uh, so when I look back, I definitely blew out any humble benchmarks that I had set. Um, the the backflip, after I did that, there was a ton of attention on it. And there was a lot of what's next, what's next, what next. And I had a few things in mind, but they were um, probably a bit premature to explore. And I definitely had my hands in a few different cookie jars. So I kind of left that sit and um, but, but for the most part, I would say, no, I definitely was very fortunate to accomplish more than the goals that I'd set up myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back to something you said earlier in our conversation about uh, being a mentor. And if we can fast forward to 2022, not too long ago, you were in Beijing um, leading the team as chef de mission. Tell us a little bit about what that experience was like for you and what it was like to be the person that 
um, other players, perhaps younger players, looked to for guidance and support? Mm, good question. Uh, the buildup, I think, for all of us, and, and more so for the athletes, was incredibly stressful just through the pandemic and uh, some of the controversies with uh, China human rights, and then the uh, the onset of the, the Ukraine Russia war. Uh, so that was just hairball. I think we were all just mm -hmm. exhausted by the time we got there. But once opening ceremonies hit, it was an absolutely incredible experience for all the athletes. They showed up in a way that I think is just quintessential Canadian, which is humble, kind, uh, putting others in front of themselves in many situations, and uh, also really confident and ready to go. And, and uh, our team threw down. For me, like as, as a, a leader to the athletes on the program, uh, there was a good balance of veteran athletes that had more mileage than I do. And mm -hmm. so like leaning into them for story and motivation was a really good start. Uh, and then just listening to the younger athletes, like what their experience is looking like and letting them talk it out, workshop it. And, you know, if they had any specific questions about the experience, you know, I could Know, dig deep into my archive or lean into somebody else that might have the knowledge and and uh, make sure that they were really enjoying and embracing mm -hmm. the unique opportunity and the great fortune to to represent our flag at the big show now that you're retired um what are your feelings about that retirement did it come organically your mind and you know your body said okay it's time to do something else and maybe you felt it was time to do something else or is there a degree of uh, heartache and pain associated with having to close that chapter of your life huge yeah no the grief of losing my identity as an athlete is ongoing and uh it's had a lot of effect in my personal life and uh it's mm. it's uh, rather unfortunate if i must call it what it is right because uh, I started sport when I was a young teen and uh, it really became a huge part of my identity and I never lost that even through my injury. Um, mm. When I retired after Sochi, a lot of these things became quite prevalent. Uh, the challenges of living with a disability in everyday life, um, not being uh, the athlete and, and constantly um, engaged in, in training or competition or media or whatever it might be. So it was a, it was a significant void for sure. But uh, in, in terms of why, uh, I started a family at that point. My mm. wife and I, we decided that we would uh, give it a go. And my daughter, Nova, was six months at the time when I was in Sochi. So it seemed really clear to me that I would not be able to uh, maintain the expectations of the team and train at that level and um, be able to be a present father. And so mm. it uh, was an easy choice in that sense, <laughs> but also yeah. really difficult and sticky too. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, and it's, there are no right answers for this one too. And, you know, when is the right time? I think we all wonder about when the right time is to uh, to wrap something up. Now that you have, you know, you've been retired for, from sports for a while now, uh, tell me a little bit about what else you've been doing to keep busy and if you have any ongoing projects that you might be working on that you'd like to tell us about. Yeah, I uh, I have an issue with keeping busy. I definitely <laughs> strive to not, but my calendar is usually pretty clogged up. Mm -hmm. I am the executive director for the Freestyle Ski Association in British Columbia. So I do a lot of the governance oversight, administration, um, help with program development, events, et cetera, et cetera. 
and have a great team that I work with of staff and coaches and uh, an incredible board of directors. So I find that to be a, a beautiful full circle opportunity for me to be back in the sport that really kicked it off for me, which is freestyle, mm -hmm. which is, is pretty awesome. I also, you know, in the wake of being the chef in Beijing, have assumed the role of uh, athlete council and was quickly elected to senior vice chair, would actually put me on the governing board for the International Paralympic Committee. Oh. So I'm lucky to be able to contribute to sport at a provincial, national, and international level between Olympic and Paralympic pathways. So still quite immersed in the sector. And of course, you're still being a, a full-time dad to Nova. You got a lot of things on the go. Josh, thanks so much for chatting with us again. Uh, congratulations on your induction to the Canada Disability Hall of Fame. It was such a pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you. And I'm going to give a, a shout out to Huddy. He's our five-year-old too. We doubled down. Oh. So if Huddy's listening to this, he'll be very disappointed that he wasn't mentioned. So Huddy, I love oh. you, buddy. And thank <laughs> you so much for your time and the, uh, the opportunity to speak to the nomination. It was, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here today. Okay, appreciate it. That was Josh Dueck, who is one of three inductees to the Canada Disability Hall of Fame. Nasreen Abdul-Majid is our technical producer. Hi, Nasreen. What did you think of that interview? It was so good. I mean, what I would highlight is when Josh brought up how in sports, if you don't fall, you're not trying hard enough. Mm. I mean, failure is a big part of sports. And I love that perspective. I love how that's encouraged in the sports industry. Yeah, I like that too. Oh, just before we go any further into the interview, in case anyone's wondering what the twittering in the background is, Nasreen has two little ducklings. Is that right, Nasreen? Exactly. They're 38 days old, but I, you know, I give them food, I give them drinks, but they're still wanting attention <laughs> next to yeah, my that's... foot. So I can't control that. <laughs> that's okay. No, I thought people should know what the tweeting in the background is. It's not a sound effect. Those are real live uh, ducklings, ducklings and they are ducklings <laughs> and they are Nasreen's feathered friends. And I thought we should give them an honorable mention as well. Uh, but no, just going back to the, the interview, I actually think that in addition to talking about the falling, which I agree with you, is a really mm -hmm. great uh, soundbite. I really thought that his point about uh, retirement and the grief of mm -hmm. losing his identity was really interesting to me because I think often as people with disabilities or just in people in general, so much of who we think we are is tied in with the work we do. I mean, take me, I work at a not-for-profit, uh, you know, a housing not-for-profit. I've been done that for 10 years. I have done a lot of work with AMI for, uh, I want to say about five, six, years now when you think about all of that it's such a big part of who you are and to suddenly lose that or even to lose that after a degree you know a, a period of yeah. preparation it can be really hard even if you make that decision mm -hmm. voluntarily and you say you know I'm starting a family and I need to me I, I don't think I could contribute to the team in the way that I would want to while also being present as a dad hey I respect that but those are not easy choices to make and I really appreciate it that Josh said that because I think sometimes when we talk about dis people with disabilities or athletes with disabilities, we forget about the struggle and we forget how much um, 
people with disabilities struggle with questions of identity and that identity, not just around being a person with a disability, what that means, but identity around the things that we accomplish as people with disabilities and how important our accomplishments become to us as people with disabilities. Sometimes I think that I maybe wouldn't be as hung up on my professional accomplishments or things like that, Nisreen, if I wasn't a person with a disability. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. But I think a large part of being able to say that I have a successful career is because in the back of my mind, I know that not everybody with a disability has the good fortune or the opportunity to have a full-time career. And I think sometimes when we think about accomplishments and achievements and what it means to be inspiring as a person with a disability, I feel like, you know, if you think about Josh, if you think, talk to any of the other athletes, there are no easy answers to that. And we often struggle with, with answering those questions. Josh had some insights around that, including his really excellent philosophy on failure. Hey, Nasreen, it was really good chatting with you about all of this. Say hello to the birds for me. Uh, I'm sure, you know, we'll get a lot of response on Twitter and what yes. have you just to, uh, you know, to your feathered friends. But hey, thanks a lot for <laughs> chatting about Josh Duak and giving me your impressions of the interview. Of course. Nasreen Abdul-Majid is our technical producer. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. That's all the time we have for today, but I hope you'll join us next week and the week after that when we meet the other two inductees to the Canada Disability Hall of Fame. If you have any feedback for me, you can send an email to feedback at ami.ca or you can find us on Twitter at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. That's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Nasreen Abdul-Majid and myself, I've been your host Chueta Gupta. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.